Yeah. I'm looking for a transporter. Welcome to Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series. Fasten the seatbelt. Hosted by Arnie. You really want to play superhero, don't you? Jerry. So much can drive. Yes, he can. And Jacob. People will always need guys like me, right? Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new Transporter movie review. Make play time for me. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. With you, it's always complicated. Very hush-hush stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Trust him on this one. Now drive. Set it off. Today we're discussing The Transporter Refueled, starring Ed Skrine, Ray Stevenson, Lone Chabanal, Gabriella Wright, directed by Camille Delamar. This is Arnie in New York, and now that we're all here, let's get this party going. Hey, this is Jerry, and sorry guys, I gotta go. My my dad got kidnapped again. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the host that's worth at least $600, Jacob. Let's hope donors think so. The donation drive is starting really soon. <laughs> But we are here, I'm actually in Manhattan, recording about the transporter refueled. I'm sorry you had to take your time out of your vacation to go see this. (laughs) Party. Could be worse, we could be reviewing Hitman. But I did come to the most populated city in the United States to see the transporter, and I kept missing shows. I had like a Stuart moment where like, I was gonna see the 10 a.m., couldn't make it. Then I would go see like the 11. I mean, there's a lot of theaters. I could see this almost any time. Only in IMAX. I was only looking at the IMAX showings. This thing got an IMAX release, believe it or not. And I finally got to a 4.15 in the afternoon showing at the AMC in Times Square. And I'm running a few minutes late. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to get a seat? It's an IMAX screen. It's a Friday. It's one of those pick your own seat things. And those who follow us on Facebook can see the picture I posted. <laughs> like seven seats were taken. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I can take my time getting in there then. Yeah, when I went to go see this, the theater I went to, like on slow days, like during the week, they don't even open up their box office. You have to go to the concession stands to buy tickets. I go on a Friday night, like 6.30, you know, people are home from work. It's a holiday weekend. I get there, box office is closed. I got to go inside to the concession stand like I was going on a Wednesday night, buy my ticket, and I got to watch this film with 10 of my closest friends. In other words, 10 people you didn't know, but they were also at Transporter? Yes, for some reason. What podcasts are they on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you probably should have said hi. I, I saw a couple people say that they were our listeners only seeing this show on Friday to, to hear our review. <laughs> I'm sure we were accounting for at least half this box office, our <laughs> listeners. Yeah, similar experience with us. My uh, son and I, we went and saw a 9.30 showing of this movie on Thursday night, right before we were able to get out and do some uh, Star Wars toy shopping, but that's another story. And we looked at that same screen, Arnie, you're talking about, where you pick your seats. No seats had been taken. I look at my son, I'm excited. I'm like, we're going to see this movie by ourselves, a private screening. 9.30, actually, actually, we walked into the theater and sat down for like 15 minutes. And at 9.30 on the dot, Nothing was on the screen yet. 
no previews, no commercials, no <laughs> nothing. So we got up and I and I walked out and the lady who met me at the door and I said, uh, "Yeah, hey, is this the right theater? Is it is it getting ready to get started?" She said, "Oh, yeah, I'll I'll go I'll go get them." And the moment she said that, everything started and I was like, "Okay, thank goodness they're actually going to show it." I was afraid that for only two people they weren't going to show it at all, but about six six seven other people ended up uh, joining about halfway through the previews. I had great previews, by the way. Oh yeah, that Batman v Superman trailer looks better than anything we will be discussing today, not to mention the Force Awakens trailer. So at this point, I just want to ask, is anybody listening? (laughs) Nobody was in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) It might be several weeks or a few months when this comes out on video that people might actually download and listen to this one. But no, I think we have enough completists on our hands who will listen to all four. I I do that too with your guys' shows. If it's a movie that I know I absolutely will not be interested in seeing in any sort of time schedule, I'll go ahead and listen. Now, I guess we should say this straight up front because this is, I think, the biggest detriment to potential intake ticket sales for this film is no Jason Statham. Is he just too big for the transporter at this point? Well, he's a little big. He's a little old. We all saw him in Fast and the Furious. And let's face it. He walked around a lot in that film. If your choice was to do one of the all-time biggest action franchises or to come back for a fourth transporter film, which would you choose? Well, if this was Liam Neeson, he would do both because the man doesn't turn anything (laughs) down. But I guess Statham's not at that point in his career. He could still pick a little bit. Do we know the background? Was Statham even an option for this? Or did Basson want to go in another direction to where he could? Because they're scheduled to do a trilogy of this. Yeah, I read they want to do a prequel trilogy. Did you see that? Yeah. So I could imagine them wanting to go with a new, younger, i.e. much cheaper star to build this off of. And I use the word star only because of the fact he's in a movie, not because he's anybody we know. <laughs> hey, he's on Game of Thrones. I don't watch that. Is that, is that what he's known for? Because I, I don't know this guy from The Man the Moon. I don't know if he's known for it, but he's in it. <laughs> okay. He's going to be in the new Deadpool <laughs> film as well. Yeah, it's funny because he's going to be in Deadpool and his dad in this movie was the Punisher and those two don't get along. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I'm just looking at his filmography and IMDb, and it's a short list, and it's nothing I've ever seen. So Game of Thrones is the only thing here that I've even heard of, except for, yes, Deadpool's listed on here is coming out next year. But no, it's a it's a short resume. Yeah, it's no surprise that they did try to get Jason Statham back, and that didn't work, so... Yeah, it's probably no surprise that he didn't come back. <laughs> No, because the movie's out to no fanfare. I honestly think this whole empty theater could have been turned around with a dose of Statham. Oh, yeah. I I think if his name was on there, there might have been 30 people instead of 10. I just don't know how big this series is. It seems like it does well as a rental on Netflix. I mean, I guess they did make money in the theaters. That's why they kept releasing them here. Do not underestimate the foreign box office. These are not American films. You can't apply your American rules, Jacob. I know. I still saw that Europa logo at the beginning with the ferry on it. Very European. Yeah, I mean, Transporter 3 cost 30 million to make these aren't expensive movies and in theaters it made worldwide 110 million yeah and all, all these movies do at least as well internationally than the u.s and the third one for instance i think made double the money outside the u.s than it did inside the u.s so it's gonna have to have actually more than double it's gonna have to have a quite a bit of pull outside the u.s it's not making anything in the u.s <laughs> How could you guys dismiss this movie? I mean, it had a <laughs> Thursday night preview and it made over $300,000. 
<laughs> I was shocked. Like I'm like, oh, I didn't even try to go to a Thursday night viewing because I figured, why would this have one? But like IMAX, I guess they just give that to anything these days. Yeah, I couldn't believe this was in IMAX. Well, nothing's competing for the IMAX screen. They might have it all to themselves until they bring Jurassic Park back out. Well, they are bringing Mad Max out next week on IMAX. So <laughs> that oh, maybe wow. you're onto something. They just don't have anything to show right now. Well, Arnie, I, I guess we got to get into this. It might help. Why don't you tell me this plot over a bottle of wine? I, I think the alcohol might help us get through this a bit. Ah, that is indeed a smart idea. But it's a little bit early. Can't start drinking yet. It's 10 a.m. I got at least one more hour before I pop the cork. <laughs> Ed's screen is Frank the Transporter. Though when this movie opens, he's not planning on transporting anything except his father, Frank Sr., Ray Stevenson, into retirement. I thought it was Sean Connery with Junior. I thought the same I got, thing. And I got that too. Honestly, I'll talk about it. They needed a bond here. I think that this movie would have been so much better with Jason Statham and Pierce Brosnan. But... We'll get into it. <laughs> of course, any movie is better with that cast. Yes. But Frank is called away to business when Anna, a longtime sex slave, hires Frank to help her and three other slaves escape their servitude to crime lord Karasov. To ensure Frank's compliance, the girls even kidnap Frank Sr. So Frank Jr. is along for the ride while the girls infiltrate the organization to steal a hundred million euros from each of Karasov's thugs, framing the lord for the robbery. A lot of action happens. We'll talk about it. Frank Sr. turns out to be an ex-spy who gets in on the action, as well as a menage a trois with the former prostitutes. And, of course, it ends with a showdown between Frank and Karasov, who had both served together in the military when Karasov had started his criminal operations, but Frank was too straight-laced to play along. Karasov gets the upper hand in the battle and is about to smash Frank's head in when Anna shoots her former master dead, and then she wants to kill Frank to make sure there's no loose ends. But her love for Frank makes her unable to pull the trigger, so she goes off into a future with 300 million euros, while Frank and his father pop a bottle of wine, and credits roll. Until one month later, where she divvies out the money a little bit better. But yeah, yeah, I think you, you streamlined it pretty well. Yeah, there's not a lot of plot here, but I want to certainly get into one specific thing. I'd come into this knowing there was a new cast, knowing it was called The Transporter Refueled, knowing that the new actor was so much younger than Jason Statham. But The Transporter 3 came out way back in 2008. It's been seven years. And this film is very solid about its timeline. We start with a flashback in 1995. And we'll definitely talk about that flashback and what it means for the film. But then it jumps 15 years later. So we're watching a period piece from yeah. 2010. Yeah, I don't understand why they did that. They could have done this opening scene and then just said 15 years later. Because I'm trying to figure out the timeline, too. Like, at first I did my math wrong because I figured this couldn't be 2010. So I'm like, okay, it's the year 2000. Wait, why did they have iPhones? There's no iPhones. In I'm like, wait, my math was wrong. I didn't carry the one. Okay, this is 2010. This is supposed to be taking place before all the other ones. It doesn't work. Is it or is it just a sequel? Or I'm very <laughs> confused about the time. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I tried to do some research into this movie in the assumption maybe they shot this like the next year, like the last transporter was 2008. Maybe this thing was shot in 2009 with a hopeful release in 2010 and just sat on a shelf. But from everything I can tell, no, this was shot in 2014 and released now. Well, remember, there's a trilogy planned. So they're probably looking to bring the second or third movie into the current day. So they're building up. And it's irrelevant. I mean, right now, things happening in 2010 versus 2015, we're not going to recognize, at least I don't, you guys might, but I'm not going to recognize, hey, did he have a model of an iPhone that wasn't available in 2010 versus? 
versus now. Ah, eh, too soon for me to even. Yes, he did. <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> I'm assuming he did now that you mention it, because 2010, we were probably only on like the iPhone 4 or something like that. And they're very different hardware cases now. But I actually went back, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead too much here, but I'm kind of, after I was done with this movie, I started imagining Ray Stevenson actually being the recast for Jason Statham. Like he's Frank Martin who's got a son. I was thinking like, wow, would this movie had been a little bit cooler if Ray Stevenson, who I enjoyed in this movie, by the way, actually had been Jason Statham being the transitional father-son, if we're saying he's too old, maybe he went straight after the last job, did a British uh, embassy-type security job, whatever he was doing, and then was handed over to Ed Skrine to be the new Frank Martin Jr. That went through my head a little bit as something that might have been a little bit more organic to the series. That's funny, Jerry, because I did this exact same thing. I'm like, this would have been so much better if it was about Ray Stevenson. I'll, I'll just say up front, best part of this film yeah. is him. I don't know if he is even trying to act. I think he might just be enjoying himself on vacation and (laughs) being able to run around with prostitutes. He's just enjoying the company of four beautiful ladies. (laughs) Yes. But no, I I don't know if there's anything in this that does say it's actually a prequel. Like, they'll talk about Frank's past. We've seen that before. Maybe Ed Screen is supposed to be Jason Statham, like the next, you know, just a continuation of him, and they just didn't cut his hair short enough. I don't know. Nothing in this film actually tells me that. Like, his tech is way better than anything Statham ever had in those previous Transporter films. Yeah, it is much better. They did not go retro, which almost could have been very cool. Could you imagine like a 90s period piece transporter film? That went through my head too, yeah. Where they went a little bit more basic and had a little bit less fingerprint scanners that had no purpose? Yeah, because <laughs> this movie should have just been called The Transporter Rebooted. I mean, it was, I, I don't think there's any tie, anything, prequel, sequel, whatever. I think we are supposed to just take it, hey, brand new version of the mythos. And I did a little bit of math, and this was kind of funny. Imagine if Jason Statham had come back and then Ray Stevenson had played his father. They're three years different in age. <laughs> but to be clear, I was saying that Jason Statham would have been playing the Ray Stevenson role and kept an right, Ed Skrine. Right. Yeah, to where, although Ed Skrine's actually like 32 and Statham's 48, so that would have been a little odd. But I think you could have played them off one older, you know, Harrison Ford, Sean Connery. I think you could have played them however you wanted, actually, just to, to make it work. I'm just saying that, yes, there's not that much of a age difference between Jason Statham and Ray Stevenson here. So Frank's father is only three years older than Frank had been. Stevenson looked old enough to be, because I don't think Statham looks old right now. He looks older than he did in Transporter, but I think he could have pulled off this role. And like I said, I think he could have done a Harrison Ford, Sean Connery here and actually made that work. But we start off back in 1995 and we don't have Ray Stevenson or Ed Screen there. <laughs> what we have is a whole bunch of prostitutes in the French Riviera. Which is weird that this is the opening scene because we're going to see it again all in flashback like I guess they just wanted to grab those Uh, come on in Europe this was an R-rated cut right I hope so I don't even know why we open up with this scene I mean they we're gonna see it all again later in flashback it's so redundant yeah I don't get this scene at all because we see Anna there and she is a prostitute for some West African sex traders I guess or pimps or the line between sex slave and prostitute is very muddled in this movie but she's an adult she's played by the same actress who would play her later Lone Chabernal and out of nowhere a van pulls up a couple thugs get out machine gun down all of the West Africans. It's really weird because they don't clean those bodies up. It's like, okay, girls, get out there and work. And there's dead West Africans laying on the street. Like, that seems bad for business. You even hear the sirens of police coming 
in the background. I actually assume they, the other people we didn't see at least pulled the bodies out. But yeah, you just drew a significant amount of attention to this area. Okay, go work. What, to solicit the police officers when they arrived because of the shooting that just happened? It was weird. I mean, I know what the scene's supposed to do. It's establishing how ruthless this guy is, and these three guys were partners, which is why they show it later. Because, And I'm glad they did, because when those three guys were on the yacht just talking about business, they had to flashback, hey, this guy was the guy that got out of this van. This was the guy that got out of this van. These three guys establish their criminal empire with this single act of ruthlessness of just gunning down everybody that steps in their way and oh don't forget he's this guy he's this player and he's this guy okay thanks yeah they had different haircuts i'm so glad they did that yeah they all have less hair they're going the jason statham route they all had like long euro trash hair <laughs> they don't have the long mid-90s look and so yeah they they literally had to give us a program of who's who so we get this opening and then we jump 15 years and we see anna again and she's like on the phone setting up some deal, and then we get to the classic transporter opening of Frank, you know, getting in the car or waiting in the car, and thugs come and surround him. I feel like we could have done that traditional opening. All this stuff could have come up later. We could have got all this in flashback, which we do. Like, we don't gain anything from seeing it this way. I feel like the movie loses momentum by not opening that traditional way with a transporter film. I completely agree. I mean, why do we need to see this 1995 scene? What would have made more impact to me anyway is if we'd seen anna as a little girl being sold into sex slavery by her mother for 500 dollars. that would have meant something here we see anna as an adult she doesn't seem to hate her prostitution job she seems pretty confident out there working the streets for the west africans we see karasov come in and slaughter a whole bunch of people we don't know and who will never play into this plot and then we jump forward. If you're not going to show us something truly emotionally disturbing, this is pointless. I actually think it, it was better that they showed it up front as a scene, because if it was just a flashback, it would have just been a very random, oh yeah, I guess that's what must have happened. At least we see it in this chronological real time, if you will, of this happened and this happened. It's still just a, you know, a footnote of like, hey, here's the background you need to know so you understand the rest of the movie. So I don't mind that they did it that way. It's just that I, I just don't think the setup was good enough, though, to establish the bad guys properly. I just didn't think, okay, great, they just gunned down two-bit pimps, and now I'm supposed to believe they're this massive criminal un underground empire that's worth 300 million euros. Yeah, I just don't get why we needed this scene at all. We could have just come into it. Anna tells her story later on about being sold into sex slavery the west africans are a needless complication don't know if there was another draft of the film somewhere where they actually had something to do but in this film i watched that was all pointless i think we could have started just right there in 2010 with frank in the garage and i'm honestly believing now he intentionally parks in the most dangerous garages in all of europe <laughs> <laughs> He's like looking for a fight. Anybody stupid enough to come along and mess with my Audi? Thing is, that parking garage looked very familiar to me. I, it looks just like some that I parked in when I was in Belgium a couple years ago. And yeah, in broad daylight, I mean, he, he stepped out, went out and got his dad. So he, you know, was just picking up a, 
a present at the shopping center, got in his car, probably three, four in the afternoon, broad daylight. And that's pretty much how you park in Europe. I mean, all the garages, everything's a garage like that. And that, that looked familiar to me. I was actually more thinking like, wow, it, it's like everywhere he goes. Yeah, there's uh, there's like six or seven fairly well-organized thugs who are just looking to pick cars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. As I understand, there's parking garages. But how many parking garages did you go to where you were the only car and then six and seven thugs on foot came in? Well, Jerry would never drive an Audi, so <laughs> this wouldn't happen to yeah, the the little sea yachts that I was renting were never attracted any attention. But but no, actually, I, I very much did that to where I've like, man, should I park here? It's right next to the exit, but I'm the only car on this floor. There's like three cars over there. Okay, whatever. I got to park and do something. But you think Frank may be a little less concerned about that since he's got all those, the, the toys in the car, all the skill. I mean, this this was a walk in the park for him. Yeah, and this is what I wanted to see. You know, can Ed Screen do what Statham did in the previous Transporter films? No. And unfortunately, yeah, the answer <laughs> is no. I don't know if it's the way this director is shooting this, if it's, I, I'm going to say it's screens fighting skills because the edits are so quick here. It couldn't have just been a directorial choice. It's to cover up that he has no skill. This guy cannot fight. Here's the thing is, I think that Statham is really good at martial arts, and we complained in some of these previous reviews when the fast cutting hid the fact that he could really do a lot of these moves. But Ed Screen is an actor and... I don't think he's a fighter. This is the type of movie to go back to the 80s where you don't hire an actor. You get Van Damme. Yes, exactly. You do not get Tom Cruise to play Double Impact. You just don't. And you want somebody who's going to come in here, and if they're going to thud a few lines, they'll thud a few lines, and it may be painful. But hell, Arnold made a career of that. So I think we needed another martial artist, somebody who could really throw a punch and feel really dangerous, versus this guy who, he's so tiny. I just don't believe that he could actually fight off these people. I don't have a problem with the size. I mean, little guys like that are, are actually quite dangerous many times. It's just that he can't fight. And there's some scenes later on that we'll talk about where it really comes through how clumsy this guy is. And when he tries to pull off these action scenes, like I, I kind of like at first one of these thugs pulls out a knife and Frank takes that bag of whatever he just bought and like puts it around the guy's wrist to pull the knife out. Like I'm like, OK, they're going for the same thing. You know, we talked about the Jackie Chan influence in these films where you use whatever's around you to fight, but then when this turns into an actual fight, it's just, it's just bad. It's not engaging at all. No, I mean, it's it's too well choreographed. It's easy to predict like, oh, hey, the gun went under here. He's already established. I mean, the car does far more of the work than it should have actually. And just looking at, you know, I, I thought that too. I thought Ed Screen was too thin, skinny, kind of gangly a little bit to, to be playing the Jason Statham role. I mean, Statham is kind of like the rough man's man and Ed Screen's kind of the really, hmm, how I want to say this. If Jason Statham is a handsome guy, then Ed Screen is a pretty guy. <laughs> you know, to where he's just very well put together and perfect and like all, you know, prim and proper sort of thing. I don't know a good way of saying that, but you know what I mean. And <laughs> the thing is, later in the movie, we see Screen take his shirt off and he's got a, you know, he's got a great build, but just the look of his face and just, you know, compared to Statham and maybe it's a full head of hair that's throwing it off for me. I don't know, but he just doesn't seem like he is even physically cast well to play the part. That's what I was saying with his size. He's not a short man or anything, but he just, he's more wiry. He doesn't look dangerous and he doesn't have the right attitude. I loved Statham's like, 
coldness. Every time somebody put a gun to his head, it was complete cold, like, just like, I'm going to get you. The eyes. Yeah, Statham could do so much with that, and I think it comes from all the Guy Ritchie movies he did and things, and here... We're going to have a lot of those same tropes, and it's just going to not work as well because of this actor. I don't get that this guy has seen military action. We knew that about the previous Frank, is that he was in the military. They're going to bring up the military. I almost said it's a plot point, but I don't know if it really is. But they're going to bring up that he was in the military, but he doesn't look like war-hardened Frank. Here's the beauty of uh, movie magic. I mean, Jason Statham is only 5'10", and screen's like 6'1". Although I think Statham's probably a bigger guy. But yeah, there's just something, I think he, he hit the nail on his head, and that was kind of the, I think maybe the basis of my comments of like handsome and pretty is like, it's in the eyes. Statham's eyes look at you a certain way like, oh man, this dude's going to kill me. And screen's just, just like a normal guy I'd meet in the streets and say howdy to. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's nothing intimidating about screen. And I think that's the only thing that tells me that this is supposed to be a prequel besides Frank isn't bald in this film. You know, they, they try to give him the same five o'clock shadow. I think screen did a pretty pretty good job imitating Statham's like cadence and maybe I just can't tell the difference between British accents but I, I thought he did a pretty good job you're absolutely right if my eyes were closed I don't know if I could tell the two talking but yeah there is something different in his presence he seems to be more smiley than Statham would ever be like he's just it's it's more of a romp for screen yeah exactly he feels like it's a lark whereas Jason Statham was able to sell this to me with Statham I didn't question so much every time a thug put a gun to his head and didn't fire. This time, when this happens here in this opening fight, I'm like, and why didn't you pull the trigger? Blow the guy's brains out, take the Audi, call it a day. Is this car worth blowing somebody's brains out over, Jerry? An Audi S8 is probably well over a $110,000, $120,000 car. So, I mean, for a criminal yes. thug, yeah. <laughs> An S8 is a heck of a car. <laughs> I hate, though, that Frank wins the fight by distracting the guy with that high-tech trunk opening remote feature. Hey, the doors on this car are going to beat up as many guys <laughs> as Frank does in this film. That's what I was saying, yeah. I mean, all the gadgets and everything the car does, which I don't think those are standard features on an Audi, by the way. The capability the car has, far more James Bond-ish, albeit that the cars got gadgets, whereas, you know, Statham's cars were just, yeah, he had the security lockout features, but the cars didn't have these special features like this but i mean even later we see him being able to automatically swap out the plates once he sees some policemen behind him and uh, i mean heck i mean there are people in campbell run that did that but you know what i'm saying i liked it this way because previously they kind of rotated like a cube and here they slid in and out it was kind of fun but then he's transporting his father who ray stevenson i know him primarily from thor and the punisher and he's good in thor he's barely in it he wasn't as good at The Punisher, I just don't think. You know what? I actually didn't recognize this as Stevenson when I was watching it. It's when I saw the credits. I'm like, oh, that's why he looks so familiar. But yeah, very different look than he had in Thor or The Punisher. We all discussed him previously in G.I. Joe Retaliation. Oh, that's right. He's yeah. one, he what? Firefly yeah. or something? He's Firefly, yep. But when he's getting picked up here... I have two thoughts, and actually, this was the trailer that it was Frank's dad, Frank's dad was kidnapped. I saw this going one of two ways. 
when I was walking into the theater based on the trailers, I thought for sure Frank's dad was going to end up a slab of meat. And this time it's personal. You killed Frank's father. Prepare to die. But as the movie goes on, Stevenson is so playful and so smart, and they hint about his own illicit background. I, I love the interplay between Frank Sr. and Frank Jr., where they're both like hinting that they know the other does illicit things but won't talk about it. And Frank Sr. is like, I work for Evian. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought Frank Sr. might be in on all of this. I honestly thought that he was either going to be working with Karasov or with Anna. Somehow, I thought he was involved. I went into this film 100% spoiler-free because I don't have cable, so I don't have trailers bombarding me. I see trailers either if I choose to look at them on the internet or if I go to a movie and see them. This film, I cared so little about. I never bothered to even look up a trailer for it, so this was all a surprise to me. I did think, though, that Frank Sr. was going to become meat by the end of this, and yeah, that was going to be Frank Jr.'s like, kind of motivation for becoming a little more hardcore as we see him when he becomes Statham. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't I didn't think the dad would survive this movie at all. I mean, we, we certainly get the hints of him being kidnapped not once but twice and we get the plot a little bit later about him having been poisoned so that Frank Jr. can work a little faster and make sure he stays on task. I will say this though whether or not Frank Sr. ends up meat by the end of this film ends up dead this is like way better of a relationship that the comedy whatever than the inspector and Statham ever had like that was just groan inducing again this film is carried by Stevenson like if there's any charm to this if you're ever smiling or laughing 99.9 percent .9 chances because of something stevenson's doing i agree i saw him the replacement for the inspector i kind of went in thinking this was a prequel i thought we might see the first encounter with the inspector yes we're in monaco so i didn't know if that was going to be the case or not but now i do realize ray stevenson is the new inspector the older character who's kind of somewhat complicit and it works so much better this way. I don't know that I ever envisioned the Transporter series as needing to be a father and son event, but I like the interplay. I like the history. The one brief touching moment where the father's talking about the mother's death and how he now all of England is a tomb for him. That is pointless and doesn't really add a whole lot. Maybe they could have kept the mother's death a secret for one of these planned sequels. But I do like their interplay, and I agree with you, Jacob. I would so watch a Frank Sr. movie, because here's the thing, is he's not a transporter. That would have been the obvious way to go, is Frank got his driving capability from his dad. But what it's really hinted at is this guy is a spy, and that he had the cover of working for the water company, but... This dude's James Bond. So you get James Bond and the transporter together. And this is why I'm like, okay, what James Bond actor would have been perfect for this? And I'm thinking back, well, Connery doesn't act anymore and way too old. And Roger Moore was too old even when he was finishing his last Bond films. <laughs> this could have been a good Pierce Brosnan role, though. Yeah, if you wanted to make it explicit that this was a James Bond character, yeah, you could go with an old Bond actor. But I, I don't want to take anything away from Stevenson. I think he does great here. Yeah, to me, I... I I think Brosnan would probably have been fine. I agree with you, Jacob. I think Stevenson did, did good work. I just kind of wish that the only thing I would have done differently than Stevenson, and not because of Stevenson, other just really for the continuity's sake, is if you could have put Statham in that role for the, the natural organic handoff, that would have been kind of cool. It would be the only other way I would have thought about doing it. But none of this really matters. We're all stalling at this dinner scene because we're going to get back to Anna, now an adult, making some phone calls, and... 
going in and killing a guy who I've never seen before, who we find out later is Karasov's accountant. At first, I thought it was actually Karasov. I'm like, wow, he went down really quick. (laughs) It's hard to tell with the bad guys because they they all talk in this gravity voice like this. Like, yeah. The only one I could tell as individual was Leo Imasov. And that's because he had a resemblance, a very minor one, but a resemblance to Isaac from Children of the Corn. Uh, yeah, wow. I, I, he just had a weird looking face to me, but Isaac <laughs> did too. So that makes sense. <laughs> He's taller, of course, but still. Yes. But yeah, I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. Like they're faking this murder scene that they got some prostitute that OD'd? Like, did they bring her in, or did the two accountants bring her in? I don't even know where she came from. They opened a closet, and she was in there. <laughs> where do you keep your dead hookers, Jacob? I don't know. I don't I don't have a lot of experience with dead hookers, so that's probably why I was confused. They had some dialogue that the other one had just found her earlier or something. So they brought her into a hotel, though? Like, Alright, here's the plot. It took me a while to figure <laughs> this out. Yeah, give me it, because it's not on <laughs> Wikipedia, so I couldn't brush my up on it. So few people people care there's not even a plot summary on wiki i could copy and paste mine and it's better than nothing (laughs) then people would say i stole my plot summary from wiki yeah (laughs) but the point was there were four missing prostitutes Anna's plan is she had three other prostitutes who were in league with her and they wanted to throw karasov off by thinking there's only three hookers rebelling against him and the fourth is dead and so they found this body of a hooker apparently not associated with Karasov. And lucky enough, they just found her on the street. They come in, they shoot the accountant, they shoot the accountant's girlfriend, then set them all on fire and put this necklace because Karasov, I got to give him this. He is big pimping. I mean, he's literally a pimp who has a brand. He's got a logo. It's a heart with a dagger <laughs> through it. He's like, you know which girls are his because they're wearing custom jewelry. And so they put that necklace on this OD'd hooker, burn them all alive. Now Karasov thinks there's only three girls missing, although he doesn't know which three are rebelling against him and which one's dead. Yeah, I got all that. I just don't know where the hooker came from. <laughs> like that's, that's where I was confused. No, they just say she, they found her. I guess that happens all the time in Monaco. You just, <laughs> oh, there's another OD'd hooker. But yeah, I, I know Anna's up to something. The way she's laying those towels out to start this fire in the hotel, to burn the bodies. I guess she didn't think about pulling the slugs out of the guy's heads because the the doctor who does the autopsy is going to find those and let Karazov know that it wasn't quite a fire that killed him. Yeah, I mean, you know she's not very well experienced in things like that. She probably hasn't done this ever. But even I'm watching this movie when they start the fire, I'm like, well, they're going to find the bull. I mean, even I was like, but they're going to eventually figure it out. So I don't know if she just thought that was going to buy her a little time or, hey, it was kind of an exciting scene to watch her set everything on fire, shoot the guy. And you're just, you know, it kind of sets up, obviously, that, OK, she's got a plan. She's going to cause some serious trouble for the bad guy here. And, you know, she means business. It's so irrelevant, but maybe she wants him to find the bullets so that he knows somebody's coming for him and starts sowing those seeds of distrust between him and his two generals in this crime organization. I don't even know why we're killing the accountant anyway. I mean, if she has this grand plan, she could just go in, shoot Kazimov, and call it a day. Well, she wants the money, though, and we're going to see her take another step to get that by hiring Frank to transport her in two packages. Obviously, I'd seen the trailer. 
I knew the two packages were two other women. Why does she not just say, you're transporting three passengers? Yeah, we saw Frank do that in the first <laughs> film, like he helped with a bank robbery, and they had an extra guy that he made him get rid of. But yeah, it's so, I guess because there's no tension in this film, so they have to add it this way, because you're not going to get it from the action. And to make sure he will transport the two packages, they tase and kidnap Frank Sr., who... He seems better than that. Like, you'd think he wouldn't get taken just by a taser like that. That's how Bogomil went down in Beverly Hills Cop 2. It was a pretty lady. Eh, that's always a weakness. I think it starts building, yeah, him and the ladies. You know, I think that's just like, oh, hey, I got this bottle of wine. There's a pretty lady. I might find someone else to share it with. And yes, that was his weakness that he fell for that. But one of the things we do see when Frank Jr. is meeting with Anna is we do get a throwback to all those rules that were first established in the first Transporter film. Like, no names. I don't want to know what the package is. Like, I thought we were going to get more of an evolution of that, but no, it's just like, oh yeah, remember there used to be these rules in the first film that weren't followed very long? Rule number one pissed me off in this movie, because there's four girls who are working together to escape this crime lord. Can you tell me their names? Anna. That's the <laughs> yeah. only one I know. At one point, they yelled Gina, so I got Gina's name down, but I had to go to Wiki to find out there's also Misa and Maria. And I couldn't tell you which was which. No, no, Misa is the one that's with Karazov. There's, it's like, it's an Asian <laughs> one. I don't know how you say it. It's got a Q in it. Quay, Quai, Qua, I don't know. Cow? <laughs> I guess it's not cow. <laughs> no. Probably not. But that's fine. That's what we said about the first movie. It's like, wait, what was Wall Street's name? I, oh, oh, I saw that in the credits. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of far more clever that if, you know, the people watching the movie and the people in the movie don't know each other's names. Yeah, but it's kind of hard if you have to podcast for an hour or more on the movie to be like, and then the one blonde interchangeable girl. <laughs> yeah, it was that girl. Remember the one that got shot later? Well, she came back and she got shot again, yeah. And honestly, Anna's the only one who matters. The other three are really interchangeable, which is a mistake for me in a movie about sex slavery. I mean, let's take this to its ultimate extreme. We're talking about sex slaves purchased as children, raped repeatedly, who've become adult prostitutes in servitude, and they want to break free. That is an empowering story. How about you actually make them characters who we now see as individual people, rather than, I mean, they're all hot, they are up there for us to ogle as sex objects, and they're as individual as the girls dancing behind Robert Palmer and simply irresistible. <laughs> I kept thinking that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I feel like in Fury Road, like, they played with that whole dynamic. Like, Mad Max, like, wakes up in the desert and he sees the beautiful women all hosing themselves up. I felt that was knowing and they were playing with that convention here. I mean, maybe it's because it's a French film. We're just going to enjoy the scantily clad ladies running around. Never mind that they're actually sex slaves. We're supposed to find it hot that they're prostitutes, but bad that they were raped as children. I mean, it's all bad is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, this film, you know, if this was done... I'm using finger quotes here better. This would be a true exploitation film. Like, that that's the only route to really go with what they want to do. But because I'm guessing this has been edited to PG-13 for the States, because I, I got to figure the European cut was R-rated. There, there's a lot of booty dancing going on. We don't get to see much of it. Oh, I got so mad at the editing. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there's a scene early on. The scene early on with the accountant, he's listening to some rap music. The lyrics were, hoes acting like bitches, bitches acting like hoes, and he kept repeating that. They kept censoring bitches. I don't know if the MPAA said there's only so many times you could say bitch in a movie before it's R-rated, <laughs> but it was hoes acting like, acting like hoes. I'm like, what the, f 
You change that song in post. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's some creative editing going. I don't even know how creative it is. Honestly, that censoring of the song just told me, like, less than a third of the way into the movie, they don't care. They either don't care about this cut because they're only going to make international money anyway, or they just don't care about this film because they're just luring in suckers like us who may have enjoyed some of the first three. (laughs) But it's small things that can really tell how much care is being put into a movie. And this one, I don't think a whole lot. No. And what I found confusing, when Frank goes to pick up Anna and the two packages, apparently this is a bank robbery. Like, I thought he was just going to pick them up at the hotel. Yes, they just walk out casually. Yeah, I mean, there's some cops, like, standing around, but they're not, like, swarming this bank. They're, like, just more looking at Frank because he looks suspicious in his car, and he's got all these blondes getting into it. But it's like, I thought literally he was just going to, like, the plan was to drive them to another country so they could be free. I didn't know there was going to be this whole scheming plot that unfolds. I kind of figured they were just going to be taken off and the bad guys would be coming after them to get whatever back or get them back. And it would just been like the Transporter 3 all over again, where it's just him trying to get them from point A to point B, whatever point B was going to be. But no, it ends up being a basically where they end up taking Frank hostage and i was kind of curious what frank was going to do you know when when he said uh, you think this is the first time someone's ever pointed a, a gun in my head i was kind of curious what frank would have done in that situation how he would have gotten out of it gotten control of the gun he probably had some gadget back there that was going to knock her out with the seat folding a certain way and a boxing glove on a <laughs> spring exactly you know a riddler style from the old batman tv series but no they actually sort of win but then we get into our our, our big car chase scene for the movie yeah, I like the accidents. I like when the cop cars smash against each other. Like again, good practical shots. Liked how they went slow motion on those, but this chase Uh, It doesn't do anything for me. No, it's again so rapidly cut. And all of these cop cars are flipping. You need to have different types of accidents in a car chase for me. It's like, oh, the car flipped. That's kind of cool. Oh, another car flipped. Oh, a third car flipped. Oh, now it's like Cirque du Soleil of cars. (laughs) Yeah, and for me, uh, since the cop cars were all the same there, I I think I couldn't see the grills long enough to understand exactly what cars they were. But I think there were Seats, which... You know, to me, I'm yawning because it's like, Frank, how are you not outrunning these little seats and just, I mean, why are you even doing stunts? Your car would have been so out of their view in moments with the cars they're driving. And, you know, A, you didn't know who was driving the cars other than just generic police officers. They're not in exciting cars. There's no skill how they're driving. You know, it wasn't until the motorcycles got involved that got a little interesting. And you know what? I had a brief flashback from the second transporter, yet I thought this one was done a little better. Not any more plausible, but I thought the end results of it was a little cooler when he basically does the the power slide through the roundabout and knocks off the fire hydrants, the little plugs off the fire hydrants. I was wondering if Audis are made out of adamantium (laughs) because it gets away without a dent. Doesn't matter, he blows the car up anyway, so it could have been dented all to heck, but like... Did he know that there were, what, four or five well-positioned fire hydrants around one roundabout? (laughs) Seems like a flood of fire hydrants in one area. But it was a cool look. Going back to the original Transporter movies, hey, that's not very plausible, but I've not seen something like that done in a car chase scene. And the the way they were all shooting at the the angles to make that really nice fountain-like spiral going through, and then the motorcycle hits it and doesn't stand a chance. That was kind of cool. I'd... 
Never seen something like that before. I was waiting for a, a bigger execution to happen. Like, okay, here's a pretty good setup. He knocks off all those caps. He takes out one cop this way. <laughs> That's a lot of work for one cop on a motorcycle. No, not for him. He just power slid through. There's no work. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that they had the motorcycle cops coming into it. You know, we've seen so many of these chases where they never call in reinforcements. And I'm thinking real life chases. Where are the spike strips that they lay out? Where's the road traps? You know, it's not like if you're running from four cops and you escape those four cops, it's over. There's reinforcements. There's coordination. There's others waiting on where you're going. Helicopters. Yeah. I watch LATV. I know what's going on. <laughs> well, and my thing's when the motorcycle's start taking off. I'm thinking, man, what are they going to do up against an Audi S8? That's a big car. They're not going to make him stop with the motorcycles, but no, but you know, to your point, Arnie, that's where Frank gets a little bit smart and he's maybe even a little bit more prepared than, than the Statham Frank Martin. He pulls into this garage. He's got another Audi waiting. How many does he have? How much does he spend tricking them out that he could just throw them away? When he gets his payment, and I think this is the first time we've ever seen him get paid, it's a small envelope that he just stuffs in his coat pocket. So I'm thinking even if those were big bills, it's not enough to buy a replacement Audi. Yeah, Jerry, you're saying these are over a hundred grand? They're about, yeah, about 115, yeah. And I think we see the source of his income like at the end of this film, like why he's so rich, we'll get a hint at that. So I'm, I'm wondering how he's dropping all this money to keep getting these cars and to get them tricked out with fingerprint steering wheels and all, all of his little gadgets. Yeah, I'd at least take the computer module out of the old car before you blow it up. Grab some of that tech. But this is a big change, guys. We know we're in a reboot now. His car's now gray. Well, he had to change color. I mean, the only reason to change the car was to change out the color to where you're not looking for the same car. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how many he's got. Obviously, it's not said in the movie and who cares. But yeah, this obviously isn't something he does as part of a typical plan. This is his oh crap moment to where it's gotten real. Police are actually after me and I've got to do something drastic. I would have actually enjoyed if when he pulled out and he threw the little uh, switch into the trash can, it also ignited. It'd been great if they'd put a little close up on Frank you just saw a tear coming down his cheek as the car blew up. <laughs> That's what I would have done anyway. I mean. But yeah, we find out that this was actually a bank robbery. Why is Karazov invited to like look at video? security footage is it his it's not his security box that's robbed it's the accountants yeah but why is he invited in like that's what I, was he in the will as the benefactor of the accountant i got that the inspector knew karasov was a crime lord a pretty untouchable one but trying to figure out who caused this murder maybe karasov maybe one of karasov's people maybe somebody going to war with karasov i want to know why you bring him in to see the charred bodies that are so immolated that you can see rib cages it was like uncle owen and aunt laying on that table and that's not something any normal person wants to see could you imagine if jacob you somebody you work with you're brought into a freaking mortician's office yes could you identify this body and we're back and it's like a chunk of burned meat i'm not a dentist i'm not going to be able to read those molars and tell who it is <laughs> Yeah. So that inspector that brought him in to look at the bodies, was that Tarconi? A prequel Tarconi? No. This is a different country, isn't it? I, at one point, they're like, they say they're going to contact Nice. So I'm like, oh, now we're going to get Tarconi from there. Yeah, but now they're in Monaco. They're not in Nice. And this is Inspector Bactois. 
This is not Inspector Tarconi. I did keep waiting for the Tarconi cameo. Yeah, I did too. And I wondered, would we have a younger Tarconi? Would it be a new Tarconi? Would it be the same guy? Because he just keeps coming back even to the TV series. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but this inspector does nothing. He's ineffective. He doesn't investigate anything. There's this car chase, and I don't know that we really mention him much again. There's a last scene with Frank Sr., and that's about it. But now, because Frank Sr. is captive, Frank Jr. must assist all of these girls on their plot to rob the other two henchmen of Karasov. Yeah, they've said they poisoned Frank Sr., and they have 12 hours until he dies, and they have an antidote if Frank Jr. will help. And is this movie just a mashup of all the previous Transporter films? (laughs) I was thinking, I'm like, oh, (laughs) isn't this part two? Isn't that when we had the poison? And the sex slaves from part one, and the fight where Frank loses at the end, and then is shot from a distance by the sex slave, all part one, and now there's this disease, they talk about the 12 hours and the symptoms. I'm like, wow, this is like a greatest hits. It's a hits. It's not great. (laughs) It's the greatest hits done by a really bad cover band. And I feel like even though I didn't recommend most of those other transporter films, there's always a playfulness in them. And I'm not getting that. I feel like the closest we get is when they go to this club, like they're going to go to a hospital. Frank and Anne are going to go to the hospital. I do find it funny. She's pretending to be in a wheelchair, but she's got stilettos on. They're going to go and steal some anesthetics, I, I guess, some knockout gas. And then they're going to go to a club and hook it up to the fog machine to knock out everyone in the club. And of course, they're still playing with the playful sexiness of this group. They're like, you want to play doctor? And then you see him in a lab coat. And if this was Jason Statham, I'd probably have been laughing. Jason Statham in a lab coat playing doctor. Again, though, that's kind of from part two, right? The fake doctors. But I might have enjoyed it a lot more seeing that fish out of water in the lab coat than Ed's scrying who I just don't know. Yeah, it's weird. And they, they don't even keep that get up to get out of the hospital that they toss everything. And I guess they're just going to walk out with a tank of knockout gas. Apparently so. Uh, why bother being stealthy on your exits? I don't know. But then they go to the full moon club. And the best thing in this movie, other than Ray Stevenson, is the DJ with the giant cat head in the full moon club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a thing. There's DJ Dead Mouse who wears like this Mickey Mouse type head. I-, I guess after Daft Punk, that's become a popular thing to cover your identity. It's almost a fun scene. Like they got the rave music going on. You got the prostitutes with their gas mask and blonde wigs. It's totally ruined by like the worst fight scene, I think, in this film. Like it is so clumsy when Frank Jr. has got a face off against what, what the, the janitors for this club. The only thing you can kind of say about this movie in general, and particularly it happens in this scene, is that Frank is a little bit more uh, human and regular that, yeah, he takes a lot of hits. He walks out of this thing all cut up and bruised. I mean, yeah, he's not Superman like Statham was but one of the things i liked about statham in the transporter movies is that he was superman so ed grind doesn't even have the i'm the end all be all guy and i'm just these other four or five schmucks that's in this room with me i'm gonna take them out pretty quick i don't even want to blame all of this on scrying though like i get confused by how this is all set up and staged like they're in a room and then all of a sudden they're in a little hallway with all these filing cabinets i don't know why you have card catalogs and that kind of stuff in a club yeah Yes, yes. It looked like a library of catalog. I was like, this is hysterical. I'm, I like the fight. I like how he uses the drawers. It's again back in that kind of Jackie Chan way. But 
What's it doing there? But then they end up back in the room. Yeah, I, and I don't know how they got into this room. They haven't established this space. So, like, I thought he was locked in a room, and now he's in a hallway somewhere else, and then he's back in the room. Like, I'm like, are these two different fight scenes that they've just <laughs> cut together? Like, yeah, you were going to see him, what, he uses a, what was it, a hose? I thought it was a power cord of some sort. Oh, that's right, yeah. That he ends up, hangs that guy by the foot and anchors him by the guy's neck. And this is, goes on for a long time. Like, Anna and her two compatriots are like, they go to Leo. I guess this is Leo's club. He's like in the head office above everything. They go, they get his fingerprint and they're able to steal his money. Like, this is the coolest way to do a bank transfer. It's like drag and drop. <laughs> I did like that. It's, what if you only wanted to transfer a little bit? I <laughs> mean, yeah, there there is some way, we'll see at the end, that you're able to just take a little bit of money and drag and drop it into someone else's account. I don't know a lot about banking, but if you're doing like a million dollar or million euro transfer, like... Hundred million. Okay, hundred million transfer. Aren't there rules and regulations? You can't like just go, yeah, I'm giving it to this person. PayPal doesn't move $80 through your <laughs> bank account that fast. I did like that there wasn't this holdup though. We've seen so many of those movies where it's like transferring money. And because you're transferring a million dollars, you see like the little status bar, like you're copying a big file. I like that it would transfer a hundred million in the time it takes me to transfer a hundred bucks between my checking accounts. Later, they play back into that trope. Later, they're doing a transfer and it's the ticking clock thing. And I'm like, ah, you were better than this earlier. That's the cell signal. Yeah, that's what, that's what I figured. It all depends on how fast your cell signal is here. But there's another fight scene, another one after this. Like, they're all trying to get away. More thugs show up. Ugh, this fight should be so cool and it is so awful. Yes, this should be the best fight in the film. Like, he puts the car in neutral. So it's like rolling down this alleyway with the girls in it. Of course, he opens up the sunroof because we know he's going to jump through there at some point. And he does too, fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> he has this all planned out. He's using the doors to beat people up or at least beat one guy up, which we've already seen like two or three times in this film. But this fight should feel kinetic as he's walking down ahead of his car that's following him, but it's not exciting. Actually, I, I dug this one a lot more because I thought it was more... Arnie, you said something earlier that made me think. I, I keep saying Scrine versus Statham and it's it's not the end of visuals. I mean, it is to some degree with Statham and some of the things we said earlier, but a lot of this is how the movie's portraying them. So this fight scene to me was more transporter-like. This is the Frank Martin that I know more from the transport movies. It was very confident. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this, lock the doors, open the sunroof. I'm just going to beat up these guys. These eight or nine people or whatever, he takes out pretty easily. And then just jumps back in there and follows the plan. To me, I could have easily seen Statham doing this exact scene. I, I enjoyed this one far more than the close quarter fight that he had just moments earlier. The car is moving way too slow. The women are screaming, oh my god, hit the brake, hit the brake, we might hit that gate going two miles an hour. <laughs> Calm down. You guys just robbed a club, gassed everyone. But this car slowly rolling downhill, you're really this concerned about. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was in neutral or if he had it because it's probably like a paddle shifting type. I don't know if he put it in like a sports mode in first gear to where it only goes so fast because in neutral, you would either be still standing still or it'd be moving because you're on an incline, in which case it would be constantly picking up speed or you would get that 
hey, we're starting to go out of control. So I'm not 100% sure what he did to keep it going. Heck, he may have set the cruise control for four miles an hour, for all I know. <laughs> but it was moving at a steady pace. Yeah, he took the gear shift, put it in some place. I kind of figured, Jerry, you'd be able to tell me what he did. I'm guessing he put it in the uh, sports mode to where you, you know, you shift it, but it's not like a stick shift. It's uh, like paddle shifters. A lot of European cars have those now to where he probably left it in the first gear. But I think even that would have gone faster than that. So he might have just put the cruise control at three miles an hour for all I know. I couldn't exactly tell what he was doing. <laughs> but wouldn't this fight have been cool if the car was going like 20 and he was running to keep up with it? That was my favorite part of Transporter 3. <laughs> Yeah, it was just like punching people in the face and using all kinds of different ways to keep up with the car. And Well, there he could have used the car to help that if it was moving that fast. He could have thrown people into the fender, knocked them away. I don't know why he didn't just run over people. Yeah, I had the same thought, Jacob. My thinking was, well, he doesn't want to run over people because <laughs> he doesn't want to damage his car. And he's such a badass, he could just get out and punch them. Yeah, but then he drives it through a gate. <laughs> Exactly. That was my. I'm like, well, what? That? No, that's stupid. <laughs> like, I was wondering because, like, these chicks are freaking out that there's a locked gate. I'm like, oh, he's James Bond. Like, he's gonna have machine guns come out of the headlights and shoot it open or something. I wouldn't have been surprised at this point. Hey, the transporters like Batman, no guns, except in Tim Burton's Batman, in which case, guns. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Tim Burton's got machine guns. Which was oddly only on the car that shot down a gate. So, Jacob, that's what I thought you were referencing was the uh, the chemical factor. But anyway. Yeah, no, I, I did think, like, James Bond got guns in the headlights. Like, I thought he was going to do that at some point because they're flipping out over this locked gate. I'm like, this is a movie. You just drive through it. But then this movie goes, what, into, like, party time. Like, we're going to get a lot of Frank and his dad and these girls. Like, we find out the dad was never poisoned. He just had some water. And this is where I thought the dad might have been in on it again. The whole poisoning thing made me suspicious. Frank Sr. certainly didn't seem to be too worried about it. No, he's hanging out with hookers. He's having a good old time. He, he's, like, connecting on him because of his travel log from being a spy. He's like, oh, your accent's from this place. And the girls are just falling all over themselves <laughs> with his act. I thought maybe his whole thing was he came not to see his son, but to help rescue Anna and her friends from sex slavery. I thought he might have been the mastermind behind the entire rescue attempt. But no, he's just there, yeah, to mack on them and get a menage a trois going with two that don't even matter which two. I, I don't think either of the two were the one he was really about to make out with earlier about her accent. Well, here's the weird thing. We're we're skipping ahead a, a major thing because the dad, Frank Sr., is involved in the third heist from the guy on the plane. He thinks he's poisoned. At least we think he thinks he's poisoned. They may have told him before they told Frank Jr., but he thinks he's poisoned, but he's then helping them by posing as a pilot. Yeah, it's so weird. He's going to end up helping them, too. Like, they have some party time, and I guess the Franks decide to help them at some point. Like, they could drive away, but I guess they've fallen for these hookers now, so they're going to help them. But later they drive away. Go figure. So... Yeah. What's so weird is it establishes it here that there's this whole, you know, this is really a pretty deep film, guys. I mean, it's really the Three Musketeers. They keep making Three Musketeer references. <laughs> I read that book. I, I'm not seeing it. I know. I, I just found it funny. It's just like, oh, guys, this will really give it a whole nother level. Like, we got to throw this literary reference in here. Well, the Three Musketeers are French. What if the Three Musketeers were hookers? Yeah, I missed the sex slave aspect of that story. That must have been a modernized version. Oh, poor Porthos. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're going to go after Yuri, one of the other 
compatriots to Karazov. And he's sitting on a runway. Like, <laughs> I don't understand this. Like, he wants to take off, but they're like, um, no, we missed our takeoff time, so we have to wait till the morning. And he just stays on the plane. So he just stays on the plane all night? <laughs> well, it was pretty luxurious. There are people who sue for being on the tarmac that long. But admittedly, his plane was a luxury plane, but still, he could have gone home. Yeah, we see the pilot. The pilot doesn't hang out on the plane all night. He's at the bar where he gets picked up by, I don't know which one, but one of the hookers. And who's helping her? I think Maria. There's a whole bunch of men. <laughs> Street thugs that they just recruit. Are they the West Africans? Are they like going to the West Africans saying, hey, we're going <laughs> to avenge your dead people well we do see the same prost i think it's maria we're talking about at this point i could be wrong i'm just gonna say maria though but we see her go to a bunch of thugs and go do you guys speak english and they're like no they're like you want to make a thousand dollars each and they're like yeah that's the setup that's right that scene was so meaningless to me i didn't even connect it to what happened later but okay so they made their thousand and they were heavily invested in that plot though they stuck with that pilot for a long time to make sure all that went down i'm not sure they wanted their thousand dollars <laughs> yeah because i guess they didn't get it until they unlocked that safe in that room or something but she had to give them the code and she wouldn't give them the code until the pilot had done his thing and i love that they have cue cards for him exactly what you say yes in english <laughs> this is the surprise is Frank Sr. walks onto that plane as the pilot. Like, now he is helping them, actively helping him out. And I, I was wondering, did he fly as a spy? Like, he seems to be letting the co-pilot do everything as they're getting ready to take off. Yeah, but he seems to also know which switches to hit. He's hitting some things. He's telling the co-pilot what to do. But he's also in the seat using the terminology. He seems like a pilot to me who is, I'm not a pilot, so he faked it well enough. Yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, Maria has knocked out Yuri with some, I don't know, magic powder and gotten his fingerprint. She drugged his drink and yeah, got the fingerprint. This is perhaps my favorite action scene of the film though, is them trying to get off this plane I don't understand this action scene, Arnie. Like, okay, they get the fingerprint and they're like, okay, let's get out of here. Why don't you just stop the plane? Like, instead of having it go knocking out the co-pilot so he falls on the controls and makes it go even faster where you have to jump out of a moving plane. Why don't you just stop the plane and jump out? Everyone's knocked out. There's one thug locked in the back room. I think leaving the co-pilot knocked out there was the mistake. They were planning on jumping out of the slow moving plane, not realizing that the co-pilot would slouch a certain way and then hit the accelerator and rather than go back to the front and turn it off there's another thug who was kicked out of the room because yuri thought he was going to get with maria there and so he's still around to be one last barrier to them going back to the cockpit and he's even going to shoot maria yeah this is where you know these other hookers besides Anna, don't matter. They're going to start dropping off now. Well, and that's the weird thing. I mean, yeah, I'm with you, Arnie. I assume the plan was the plane is still kind of moving at the runway speed, whatever they call it. We can jump out. But at some point, they're going to notice two people coming out of the bottom of the plane running off. So either way, they're going to attract attention because at the very least, they're going to two people are going to drop out of the plane and run into the field. So someone's going to catch that. But I guess they attract attention, more attention, even faster by the plane, just like wildly taking off. And then at that point, it's going to be a lot harder to jump out of that plane because it's moving full speed. So I, I really do think, though, that what Frank ends up doing coming under the plane, you know, the sunroof is apparently his biggest ally throughout this movie. <laughs> yeah, he has fingerprint scanners. He has trunks that close with a button. <laughs> He has the doors that ought to open. 
biggest car gadget of import sunroof i do like you know this is a quip they do throughout the film frank senior is always complaining how frank jr is late and it's always by like 10 seconds but they do it again here frank jr i guess the plan was for him to pull up at that airport and pick the two of them up but because that plane is accelerated he's running late because they've had their own problems that yeah he's got to get under there i just uh, i just wish it felt more dynamic like everything here stays just feels so rote to me it, it, my pulse is never pounding i think it would have been good if they killed maria here spoiler alert they're gonna kill maria later that's what made me mad they go through this entire scene about the dad knowing how to take chewing gum duct tape and tongue depressors to get her all healed up she's just gonna die in 10 minutes anyway by a gun wound cobwebs cobwebs and sugar cobwebs coagulates the blood who knew yeah i, I want to try this now i'm gonna shoot myself in the side <laughs> just to check it out <laughs> I'm sure it's incredibly sanitary, too. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, there's going to be an infection. Then she's in the sack with the dad later that evening. She was actually kind of asleep off to the side. We never actually saw her moving. So I don't know if he was having a three-way or just having a one-on-one -on -one with her right there. <laughs> there were definitely four female arms involved. The question is, were there six? She was one of them. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I'm like, she recovered from that really <laughs> quick. But come on, guys. We didn't mention... <sighs> It could have been a really funny scene as they're getting away from the airport. You know, Frank's Jr. launches off a, a luggage rack or something and drives through the airport. Like, and it's weird because there's armed guards in there and they're just watching. I'm like, I think if there's a car driving in the airport, that qualifies you to open fire. Yeah, they had like M16s so and they're just watching the car drive past. I did enjoy that scene, though. It was very Blues Brothers. Yeah, and you still don't open a spray of fire with that many people civilians around unless you've got i think a higher level threat yeah there's a car coming through but he's not actively mowing people down but yeah they're just as confused as heck they're like crap there's a car coming through here you know what to do and you're right it's exactly what i thought already because i love the blues brothers it's right when he drove through the mall i was waiting for him to say hey the new oldsmobiles are in earlier this year but now after all the sex they decide all right garros see ya we're done. You guys have fun finishing. And they stand there like four supermodels in a Carl's Jr. ad while Frank and Frank Sr. drive off. <laughs> but then the funny thing with that, Arnie, is that Frank Sr. really doesn't want to go. I mean, despite the fact that he got tased, thrown in a trunk, allegedly poisoned, I guess all was made well because he makes times with the ladies. But yeah, now he's invested. He's like, hey, we can't, we can't abandon them now. We got to help him out. Yeah, he seems very disappointed in Frank. And Frank is heading off to Paris to lay low because of all the heat that this has brought up. Which is reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> it's a good plan. <laughs> I would think that the girls would want to go too. I mean, at this point, they have 200 million euros. They could probably get out of Karasov's reach. But Anna's big thing is, I'm not quitting until I'm fully out. So on the run isn't enough for her. She has to find, confront, and kill her former slaver. Well, and I would think with 200 million euros, you could find some people to finish the job for you. But... Yeah, I really gathered it was far more, uh, despite what she's directly saying, I figured it's far more of a, not that I just want out, but I, I can only be out if I know he's dead. And I can only know he's dead if I do it myself. Yeah, you could hire Frank, perhaps. I, I guess he's not an assassin, though. That crosses over to Hitman Agent 47 territory, perhaps. We'll, we'll have a crossover someday. But it did seem weird. It's like, oh, no, this is a personal vendetta. And we found out that Anna was bought into slavery at the age of 12 for $500 
hurts. I don't know, 200 million, you could have a pretty nice life. Just call it a day and go. Well, that that's a little dismissive. I mean, I could understand wanting revenge, but I think she'd want revenge against the West Africans who took her at 12. No, no, I think it was Karazov or someone. I sh- when Karazov shows up at the beginning, they bring out their own prostitutes. Yeah, no, no, Karazov inserted her. He only took in one of theirs in and insert his, his ladies. Okay, so she was brought into sex slavery by Karasov, not the West Africans. This is all, the whole inclusion of West Africans confuses me. I don't understand the need for the West Africans. I don't understand, like, the whole dynamic. Karasov and Frank, we find out they have a past. They never explore it, unless I miss something. It's just that, what, they serve together. It seems like they were mercenaries. They wanted to get money. Frank got out because he wasn't that kind of guy. I, I, I just... I, have a hard time understanding this dynamic they're trying to set up between Karazov and Frank Jr. The way I read it, and I could be wrong, is that Frank and Karazov served together for the English military. And we knew from previous films, assuming they're still in the same continuity, that Frank was a troop in the military. But Karazov started to do illicit things with that troop. And Frank was too on the straight and narrow. And we find out what Frank did in the military. He drove a transport. How fitting. So Frank's always been a straight-laced nerd, and Karasov's always been trying to rope him into illicit activities for profit. I wish there was more there. I mean, we find out that Anna heard about Frank from Karasov, you know, that's because they went back. Was Karasov using Frank? I guess he could have used Frank as a driver, and Frank would have never known because of the no-names rule, but I don't understand all of this backstory. It feels really inserted. It feels really pointless. And again, this would have all made sense if Frank's dad was in on the plot on Karasov's side. Like, somehow they met because of the knowing of Frank and that Frank's dad was evil. I, I wondered if it would go that way. I mean, it's not like... He's a major star, but I didn't think you got Ray Stevenson to sit out the climax, but he does, mostly. And speaking of the Punisher, Jacob, were you getting a John Travolta Punisher vibe off this whole plot about the crime lord whose people are being turned against him by these people? I just, it was taking me back to that film, the Thomas Jane one. Yeah, it was, you know... <sighs> I guess it's kind of clever. Like, they are prostitutes of Karazov. I don't understand why Yuri and Leo are, like, so suspicious. It seems like their friendship has gone astray over the last 15 years. <laughs> but, you know, th- this whole thing, like, Anna's like, oh, no, he told us to do all this. Like, okay, that's kind of a clever alibi. And we got, I believe, Maria, who's been shot, but now she's scuba diving. I, she had a romp in the hay with Frank Sr., so I guess she's recovered. But she's, like scuba diving underneath the boat to hack in and put all the money back into Karazov's account so Leo and Yuri thinks he really did steal it it gets a bit complicated and then turns into a boring shootout yeah and it's kind of this weird way of the payoff even though I think it's weak the payoff of him thinking one of the four hookers that's missing was killed because then they actually can sneak one in he thinks the three hookers that he's seen in all of these videos committing these crimes he thinks they're all accounted for so Yeah, okay, that was kind of a weak payoff just so she could swim underneath the boat and get the final transaction of of a scenario that I can't imagine they could have possibly predicted for. I mean, it was the fact that Frank came back to them and that he had Frank's dad was the only way that could have possibly worked. Well, and they set up the kidnap, the second kidnapping of Frank's dad. Exactly. I was a little disappointed that Frank Jr. wasn't in on the, hey, here's what we do. Let's call in the other gangs to see us all together. And then they can think that, yeah, we really were doing this as a as a single unit. I actually think that's a clever way to bring it all together. But the, the fact that Frank Jr. had no idea 
It was really weird. But yeah, he was, I mean, they were involved in that, so I guess they orchestrate things a little bit. But it would make more sense to me if that would have just been part of, Frank Jr. had been in on that plan a little bit, too. The gathering of all the crime lords together to have it out and, and destroy each other. Yeah, I was getting a little bit of a true romance callback. I guess I was just thinking about movies I'd rather be watching. But when all the gangsters start <laughs> shooting each other at the end, reminded me of the ending of that film. But two things happen here that bother me. The first is, all right, so Karasov has to prove he only has $100 million in his bank account. I don't know why all these crime lords only have $100 million. I mean, they've been crime lords for 15 years, and yet each of them has exactly $100 million to their name. That's a good amount of money, and, you know, they start out start off pimping, so they're not, you know, I, I, I think it's fine. Uh, I don't know. $100 million used to be real money. Maybe back in 2010 it was. <laughs> But he has to load it up, and I like that, is it Maria who's in the boat's, like, engine room hacking in? Yeah. And so she has an iPad. I don't even think it's an iPad. This looks like one of those knockoffs that they'll give you for free <laughs> if you buy a cell phone. Well, it didn't have a low battery indicator, so I think it's a little better than that one. But she's <laughs> hacking in so that she can get his PIN number. Not a fingerprint this time, but she needs the PIN and so she sees that and just has the time to drag and drop 200 million more in. And yet the henchmen don't find this at all suspicious. Why didn't Karasov just go, well, I have 300 million if he was going to show them an account with 300 million. And the fact that the hookers are like, yeah, we did exactly what Karasov told us to do. And Karasov's like, you lying bitch. I mean... The agents are just so distrusting of Karasov, the man who got them that far. There is a scene earlier where, like, a stripper's around and Karasov is saying to the Isaac-looking one, You don't trust me! I don't know why he doesn't trust him, but, yeah, I guess there's no trust among thieves. But then, after the shootout starts, she's stealing all 300 million. And the one whose name I can't pronounce, Karasov's woman, is looking at the iPad at that moment sees that they're logged in from another location. I can go with all of this until it shows a GPS map of the boat, including all the rooms, and that the person logged in is in, like, the engine room. Come on, your Apple Maps aren't that specific. When you do find my iPhone, it will tell you exactly where in the boat you left it. Yeah, it has an it has the schematic of my boat with all the rooms and shows me, the, oh, it's in the glove box. Yeah, I don't know. This is just real boring to me. It's, it's not staged very clever. It's It's a lot of bullets and plywood flying around. We don't even get the funny shots of, like, doors blocking bullets at this point. All the hookers except Anna get shot. Like, they are totally expendable. That really bothers me, too. If this is about their freedom, and later on, they're going to be like, your friends died for you, Anna. Well, did they? Or did they just want their own fucking freedom? I didn't get a sense that they sacrificed themselves to save her. No, I got that they were all wanting out. Not that... They jumped in front of a bullet so that it didn't hit Anna. It is upsetting that they're never distinct individuals. The closest we get is Maria because she gets shot twice. Yeah, who gets shot twice? <laughs> twice. Just like Frank Sr. gets kidnapped twice. <laughs> she gets shot twice. Well, yeah, and she kind of made it sound like her response to Frank was that, hey, I would have died for them. And I guess we know, not that the film drives us home, but we know it was like, hey, they're probably willing to die. For whatever happens, happens because it's either this or they just remain the sex slave. So again, they could have just run away and been free. Especially after the first $100 million, you know? So, but yes, <laughs> they were just the almost nameless, faceless uh, accomplices that, yes, at the end, didn't matter. And we get, what was this Transporter 3? Was there a jet? Yeah, there was the jet ski scene. No, that was Transporter 2. Yes, the very fun jet ski flip scene. Yeah, that one was fun where he's flipping the chick around <laughs> yeah. so he could get in front here. 
No, it's boring. He drives straight and lands on the shore. Wait, wait, no, he doesn't land on the shore. He like leans backwards <laughs> off the sea dew so that when it hits the shore, it propels him <laughs> forward right through the window of a Jeep or something so he can kick Karasov out the other side. I'm like, if it was filmed better, it might have been like, oh, wow, that was cool. As it was. Well, that's the thing. I'm, li I'm like, oh, that's cool. I wish it was filmed so I could actually see what happened. <sighs> and this final fight is nothing but rote. Everybody disappears. Like, I guess they all went down in a hail of gunfire, but it's going to end up Frank versus Karasov one-on-one -on, -one on top of I don't know what island they went to on that boat, if they're in the mainland, but it honestly looks like they're on top of some kind of mountain fighting each other with rocks. It's one step away from Kirk versus the Gorn. This was stupid. And I stopped caring at this point. Like, I can't even tell you what happened. I know Anna's going to show up and shoot Karazov. I don't know what happened in this fight because I was just so numb at this point. Didn't care. I was watching the screen, but I don't know what was going on. Yeah, Frank Martin doesn't need to start grabbing rocks because he has no other skills. Now I recognize this is someone he served with and should, in theory, have comparable skills. But neither of these two guys really fight. They're scratching and clawing, looking for whatever. Oh, hey, here's a rock. Now, we saw Statham grab a shard of a rock, you know, in the first movie that he never got a chance to use at that end cliff scene right before someone shot somebody else. But I just, I, when they started grabbing rocks, I looked. I actually looked at my son like, you kidding and my son just, this entire movie, my son just sitting there like, man, why did I come out with my dad at 9.30 to see this stupid movie anyway? But at that point, we were still like, this is a bad fight. Yeah, it's really bad. And you're trying to sell me that this guy, Ed Skrine, is the new transporter. I'm supposed to really think he's badass. He gets his ass handed to him by Karasov. I think he's going to come back. I think this is going to be like a Rocky thing where he's down, but then he comes back at the last minute and has a killer move. No, he's going to get his head bashed in with a rock. Had Anna at like 500 yards with a pistol not taken out Karasov. And what's even weirder is they try to build this tension like Anna's got to tie up all her loose ends. And that involves Frank Jr. Like, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> no, he's done nothing but freaking help her. There was no dramatic tension. At no point did I think Anna was going to pull that trigger. No, that was just dumb. And it seems like that scene went on for so long, maybe because I knew he wasn't going to get shot, but uh, I'm just like, okay, get on with it. And the movie does not get on with it either, because then we have to cut to a scene that I really didn't need of Frank Sr. sitting with the inspector, coming up with some Evian water story. Product placements abound. I think Evian paid for this movie. <laughs> I didn't even understand that. So he was supposed to be like a water delivery guy. Where was his truck? Where was his invoices? Where was the water he delivered to this boat? That was his cover when he was a spy and in service. So I, I bet all those things did materialize. I bet he still had the ability to, to pull from that. But no, it's just... Yeah, you're right, though. It comes across as no question asked. Uh, we don't have anything to hold you. He's in the he's in the jail for or at least the police station for 12 hours and they got to let him go. They had nothing to charge him with. He's done. Yeah. Let him go to his son who is all scarred <laughs> up looking like he'd just been in a big fight. No questions asked there. He never saw the guy. I don't know who that guy is. I never saw him. Man, I, I, I'm praying for Tarconi to return. That, that guy looks competent compared to this inspector. Yeah, I would have preferred it if this inspector was like, yeah, we know you did some dirty things going on here, but you took out a major crime lord who's haunted us for 15 years. So we're going to let you go. But no, he just, yeah, really, really stupid. I do like the final scene between Frank and Frank Sr. Until the very end where Anna, after her life of sex slavery, is relaxing in a bikini by the pool. 
I thought this was really weird. She's like transferring money to the the family members of these other sex slaves that all died. I'm like, well, if her mom sold her to slavery, like there's a good chance that these other girls ended up that way because of their parents. But hey, here's a hundred million dollars. Why not? Well, there was one of the the girls that received the money who actually looked like she was getting ready to, you know, enter prostitution. Just because she happened to be getting dressed at the moment, but perhaps that wasn't the wisest choice of the filmmakers to do that in a movie, again, where we're supposed to look down upon prostitution and all of this. But she's giving that money away with a sly grin. I wish that they'd told me who these people were. I saw names, but I barely even knew the women's names, let alone their last names in the family. So I'm glad, Jacob, you're here telling me that's who got the money. I guessed that's who was getting the money? Well, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't testify beyond a reasonable doubt, but that's just what I'm assuming. That's who would make sense to to be receiving this money. Yeah, I don't know from the names it shows that that was actually these prostitutes' families. So, yeah, but unfortunately, all these families are probably going to go to prison or at the very least get investigated by Interpol or something because of a 70 million euros that just happened to come into their account on a single day. That's not going to draw any suspicion whatsoever. So I'm not sure if she's doing them any favors at all. But then she ends wanting to give only 10 million euros to Frank and Frank Sr. And she, like, stops. She she was going to kill Frank Jr. when last we saw her with him. But now she's sitting there. She's got this sly, playful grin. Like, she's about to swipe and give them 10 million. But maybe she won't. I mean, are we supposed to think she's just greedy and going to spend the 20 million on herself rather than help those who got her rescued? Well, I hope she gave him at least 115,000 euros to buy a new Audi. I really need to see the sequel to this to know. I Did Frank get his $10 million? I, inquiring minds want to know. Well, inquiring minds want to know, Jacob, Jerry, do you recommend The Transporter Refueled? Jacob. There's no inquiry that needs to be made <laughs> whether I recommend this film or not. No, no, I don't. This film, man, I wish we were watching the other three Transporter films. I didn't realize how good those ones were until I saw how far it could fall with this one. Bad action. I don't know if this story's any different than what we've seen before, especially since they crib so many moments from those other films and just repeat it here. But this all fails because of Scrine and, and the director. I, I'm going to blame how this is shot as well. Scrine doesn't pull off the moves that he needs to be able to pull off. The director doesn't capture the action the way it should be captured to make this feel like those other transporter films. At least those, you know, if Jerry, how old's your son that you went to with this? He's 14. If a 14 year old, and you're saying it sounds like he didn't even enjoy this. If a 14 year old's not enjoying this, <laughs> something's wrong because if I was 14, I probably would have enjoyed this film. But no, that that's a bad sign. I mean, Ray Stevens, best part of this film. If he wasn't here, it'd be like, a way, way strong not recommend, but look, this deserves to be at the 9% that Fantastic Four reach. This, this is very little enjoyable in this film, so it's not a strong, strong not recommend, but it, it's a very solid not recommend here. Jerry. Yeah, I, I said earlier that maybe Transporter Refueled should have been named Transporter Rebooted. I have another name for it. It should be Transporter Refused because this they need <laughs> to throw this car in park, put the wheels up on cinder blocks, uh, repossess it, something. They just, this is not a good sign if they're going to try to do something else with this franchise. In fact, I'm not sure if they can do anything else with this franchise. It's not something I can recommend. I mean, I, I'm with Jacob. I'm not going to give it the strongest of knock recommends because, I mean, I was able to sit through and just follow along and say, okay, well, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Okay, that was kind of dumb. Oh, that should have been better. And, well, that's kind of a cool fight. You know, so certainly not the worst action movie I've ever seen. For me, the question is, did I enjoy this better than Transporter 2, which I gave a 
pretty definite not recommend to. And at the end of the day, Jacob, you're right. It comes down to Statham. I mean, a worse action film with Statham is probably still easier for me to swallow than a boring, not exciting, not great action film starring someone who doesn't even have the charisma and the the machismo to even pull off the Frank Martin role. I mean, it started with the casting, but I won't blame Scrine for everything. I mean, I mean, it, it's still the movie around him, what he was given. I think the plot here was a little bit more just straightforward than some of the plots we saw like in Tood, where it's like, yeah, three hookers want to get out, want revenge, they're stealing money. Yeah, okay. Point A to point B is pretty clear, but this is a definite not recommend. Strangely, I'm not going to be as hard on Ed Scrine as you two are. I think he's perfectly fine if this wasn't a transporter film, if this was something totally different and they didn't feel compelled to try to recreate what Statham did so well with this guy, they might have a shot. I think the guy was charismatic enough. I don't think he was great at the action, but that could have been the editing that caused me to think that. I'm not going to damn him for this one movie, but he was enjoyable enough to watch. At no point, though, did I think of him as the transporter. Jason Statham. And I haven't watched a lot of that TV series, and I didn't think of him as that transporter either. But I was thinking about that TV series a hell of a lot with this movie. The cheap way the car scenes were filmed, the boring car chases, the rapid cut fighting, a transporter with hair. This feels like the TV series on the big screen. If you watch the transporter TV series and you want a PG version, I barely PG-13, of the TV series, watch this. The acting is on par with the TV series. The story is on par with some of the TV series. It really feels like just a large episode of that series. But to me, that series and this movie, it's fitting that they had some kind of partnership going on with Evian, because to me, this is the transporter watered way the hell down. I didn't care for the series all that much. I thought it did some inventive things. And here, it felt like I was just watching another episode. It's a not recommend. It's a clear not recommend. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not fantastic for bad. It really isn't. It's just completely unimpressive. I was sitting there watching it. And in New York, things happen that don't happen where I'm from. People got up and left the theater in the middle of this. Like, we didn't have that many to begin with. We had even less when it was over. And it was like, as the climax was coming, I could tell we were, I wasn't clock watching, but from the way the story was going, I knew I was coming into a 90 minute movie. I could tell we were about to get to the last half hour. It was going to be the big climax. And people were just like, walked out. They were just walking out. And I'm like, I get it. This is completely uninteresting. And I was thinking TV. It's like you'd have this on in the background while you're cooking dinner or cleaning the house or something. And it's fine for that. And the question for me was, if a movie has nothing going for it, but not a whole lot going against it either, where does that hit on the arrow? But no, if there's nothing going for it, there's so many better movies. The only compliment I can give this is it didn't have the horrible sped up editing of Transporter 3. You will not forgive that film for that. I No, no, never, never. This director, though, is the editor from that film, so... Yeah, I saw that, and um, maybe the director, Megaton, was putting a gun to his head and saying, you will play it on Fast Forward, because none of that happened here. But for me, my ranking of the Transporter films, one, two, four, three. Oh, man, you gotta rank these? Three's the one that I actually recommended it. I think I barely recommended it, but I guess three, 
I don't know, one, two, four. <laughs> I, one and two are, are pretty interchangeable to me. Like, whatever. That's how I feel about this series. Like, even three that I recommended, I'm like, eh. I, I'm, I'm throwing you a bone. I'm being nice here. Yeah, I would go. I mean, I think one, three, two, and four is... That's the question I posed during my recommendation was, hey, was this at least better than two? And yeah, pretty quickly, I, I found that it wasn't... So, yeah, one, three, two, and four is definitely the way I would rank them. I understand, even though I'm putting four above three, it's quite a fall, even from one and two in my mind. And then the question is, I mean, I know the answer to this, but how do you guys feel about the looming threat of two more starring Ed Skrine? It is a threat. I definitely feel that threat. I don't want to see any more of these. Even if it was Statham, I don't know if I'd want to have to go to the movies opening night to go see this. It's just, this doesn't scream theatric to me. This is, you watch it on Netflix when it's streaming. I figure they might have enough momentum to just go ahead with the plan and do them. If these movies aren't costing a lot of money to make, that they don't really need a Avengers Age of Ultron type of reaction to continue. I mean, you know, Sony has Amazing Spider-Man 2 only makes $600 million and they got to rethink their strategy. Not going to be the case here, right? So... And if you if you Google Ed Skrine and pictures of him, he actually oftentimes does sport a very thin buzz cut that shows me that he could, if there's a progression here, by the third movie could look like Statham and, and create that like true Frank Martin, whether they want to or not, I don't know. If this was supposed to be movie one, 2010, where he's younger, seven years later in 2017, he's starting to lose, go a little bit more thin, he's getting a little bit more tough, and he's experienced this, that, and the other, whatever. I'm a hopeless optimist that, that says that, okay, they're going to see some of the things about this movie that were flawed, that didn't connect with people, and just fix them and progress Frank. So maybe it would get better if they did it. I mean, it's always a maybe. But in general, me right now, stop. Stop making these movies. That's that's why I call it Transporter Refused. I, I, I refuse to accept that you guys are going to get a, a decent trilogy or a decent story going with this because, you know, if all four movies in general didn't have, like, these great reasons to exist other than the first three had Statham behind the wheel, literally. Well, I'll tell you a little bit of behind the scenes and now playing things. We all know Brock does the announcements for our show time and time again, and he does them very well. And I write out these credits and he throws in his own flourishes. And that's how we get the credits we have for the show. And every time I set out the credits, we've realized now that we're doing this for seven years of now playing and these series are starting to pop back up, that sometimes he has to re-record the entire credits because we have a new copyright date or we're no longer leading up to a weekend of release. And so the microphone he has has changed or the acoustics have changed or his voice has changed. He has to re-record them from top to bottom. His voice changed? This is a, a Brady Bunch going through puberty situation? <laughs> Well, it just, you know, gets a little deeper after 10 years of podcasting. He's 10 years older than when he started on Star Wars Action News. So when we realized this a few years ago, I started having him record copyright dates in the future. Like if a movie came out in 2014 and they'd already announced the sequel was coming for 2016, I'd have him record 2016 through 2021. So we have the credits all done so he doesn't have to re-record the entire thing from top to bottom always do this. This is just standard operating procedure at Now Playing Now. When the transporter credits were sent to him, I'm like, don't bother reading any more copyright <laughs> dates. I'm pretty sure this is the end of the road for transporter. I stand by that. I think and I hope that the series will hit the brakes and say no more transporter. But if they do, I'm okay with Ed Scrine coming back 
as long as Ray Stevenson is back and we have a new director behind the scenes who may try to show that Ed Skrine has something that can make him the transporter that this film didn't convey. But that is it. We're done with the transporter, I think, possibly forever. I can't imagine that they'll go back to this. Does that mean we're moving on to something that possibly will go on forever? I think so. We're going to move on to Disney. Oh, we're do- what, what are you doing? The Princess series? No, no. Nor the Marvel movies. <laughs> what about Pixar or Muppets? Wh- which aspect of Disney are we doing? Star Wars. After years and years and years of our listeners saying, do Star Wars, do Star Wars, do Star Wars, and us going... No, no. In fact, I said on the forums years ago, it's still, the post is still there. I'm like, well, all right, how about this? I'll make a deal. I don't want to do Star Wars, but if they make a new movie, we'll do Star Wars. You thought you were safe. I really did. I thought I would go to my grave and never see another Star Wars theatrical release. And I'll say this because you posted on the forum. I mean, we've recorded the one for the Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. That, that was, what, a five-hour recording? I don't know what's going to be coming out once that's edited down, but it was long. I think there's going to be a lot of discussion going on in these films just because of the hosts that are on it. So that starts next Tuesday, and we're going to be doing Star Wars pretty much through... Christmas, when episode seven comes out, we're taking a couple of breaks because we've got a new James Bond movie coming out, a new Rocky movie coming out. Going to do a little bit of horror for Halloween. So the holiday special. No, we're doing that on Christmas. (laughs) The Ewok films then. They're pretty horrific. (laughs) I argued for doing it on Wookiee Life Day, which is actually in November. But no, it's going to be Christmas. But yes, we are doing the Ewok films. We are doing the Clone Wars animated film. We are not doing any of the direct-to-DVD animated movies, though, or the Tartakovsky series. But we're going to discuss it all, too. I mean, I am a Star Wars fan. I've hosted Star Wars Action News for over 10 years. I'm here in Manhattan covering the Star Wars toy midnight opening at Toys R Us for Force Friday for The Force Awakens. We discuss, in depth or not, every aspect of Star Wars in this series. So I hope you'll join us for that. I also hope you'll join us starting this Friday for another foreign film. I mean, we did these French films. Now, why don't we do (laughs) another foreign film with Battle Royale? Yeah, the Japanese film. Battle Royale, big cult hit. I know Stuart's a fan. I'm a fan. I'd never seen it. And I've never seen the second one. There was a sequel to that. But the reason we're doing Battle Royale is a lot of people, me included, I've never seen The Hunger Games, but a lot of people feel that the author from The Hunger Games may have borrowed a bit from Battle Royale. So we thought that would be a fun intro to The Hunger Games, which is part of our Silver Donation series. For $10 or more, you get the two Battle Royale films plus the four Hunger Game films leading up to the theatrical release. That's right. You're getting Battle Royale 1 this week, Battle Royale 2 next week. Then there's a bit of a break until we start the Hunger Games in November, tying into the release of Mockingjay Part 2. Will I be mocking it? I don't know. I'm not the Hunger Games guy. I'm, I might be. Yeah, neither am I. I've never seen any of them. I've seen the first. The fact that I didn't go back for the others, well. <laughs> <laughs> that says something. <laughs> but for our gold series, uh, I think of films that we all have gone back to, or, or many people have, the Tarantino series leading up to the Hateful Eight coming out. Well, Christmas, if you live in a movie town where you're going to get the 70 millimeter print or January when the rest of the world gets it. I'm so looking forward to this series. It's a huge donation series. It's more movies than we've ever done for a donation series. I'm going to just say right now, it's more movies than we'll ever do for a donation series again. It's a lot of work. We're watching a lot of sites that we're really going into all the stuff that 
let's influence Tarantino just so we could talk about there is a lot of homework for us on this series. There is. And when we were looking at it, because of Star Wars, we knew a lot of people wanted to hear us review Tarantino, but because of Star Wars, Stuart and I went back and forth. Stuart's like, there's no room on the schedule for it. I'm like, well, it's our show. Whatever we want to do, but there's room on the schedule to do, we'll make it work. But the result is a ton of movies that we're doing, not just because the listeners want us to, but I think because all of us, to some degree, enjoy Tarantino, or at least find there's a lot to discuss with his films. So really, we're doing eight movies for the Golden Nation series, nine podcasts, because we're doing Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2 separately. And we're doing it because I think we'll have a lot of fun recording it, and we hope you'll have a lot of fun hearing it. And you can hear all those reviews. So a total of 15 bonus podcasts if you donate $25 or more. And if you go $35 or more, we're even going to throw in five additional movie reviews that are Tarantino-related, from Dusk Till Dawn, to Romance, Natural Born Killers, Four Rooms. And then Grindhouse is kind of a weird one. If you do gold, you're going to hear the review of the Tarantino film from Grindhouse. If you go platinum, you also get the review of Robert Rodriguez's film and the entire Grindhouse experience. A lot of stuff, a lot of work, but you guys make it worth it by supporting our show. Absolutely. We could not do this show week after week without support from listeners like you. So if Tarantino's not your thing, if you don't think Hunger Games is your thing, if you enjoy the shows we're doing, if you're looking forward to the Star Wars review, we could really use your support. So Jacob, Jerry, thank you for joining me. And until next week, Au revoir, my friends. Falcone, it's me. Get out of the house. Ah, uh, no. I was just pressing the Madelands. Falcone. Forget the Madelands. Just get out. And go where? Anywhere. The beach. Go to the beach. Oh, the beach. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. What's in this for you? Pleasure. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. I don't like to be late. Well, would you rather be late or dead? Also on our site, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews of film series such as The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Terminator, Rocky, Robocop, Punisher, Mad Max, and more. You mind heaven? It's leering a bit of the shit. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Well, I said drop in any time, but I didn't mean nowhere else to go. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. You think this is the first time someone's held a gun to my head? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. 10 minutes past the deadline, if the money doesn't arrive, I'd send a finger. 20 minutes, a hand. Sounds like we have a deal, don't we, Mr. You have a deal. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't think of this as just another job. Think of it as a mission. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always say the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. Now Playing's Transporter Retrospective Series is edited by Heath, Anthony, and Arnie. We're gonna need more men. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. My boss said you're the man for the job. 
The transporter films are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. I like that. Rules. You can't get anything done in the world without rules. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I'm still wondering if I want to know everything or nothing about you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's over, Frank. It's over. Mission accomplished. I can see this is going to be a glowing review. All right. Everyone ready? Yes. Yep. All right. Load up that cast list. Yep. Good luck. No kidding. Depending how deep you go. <laughs> Not very. Just give them first names, it'll be fine. <laughs> to tell you guys how important this movie is to the world, Wiki doesn't even have a plot summary. I, I, I noticed saw. that because I went to go read it last night trying to clear up some plot points and there was nothing there. <laughs> but Frank is called away to business when Anna, a longtime sex slave, hires Frank to help her and her three... I said friends, but friends isn't exactly the right word. Um, Colleagues? <laughs> Colleagues. <laughs> They'll talk about Frank's past. But we've seen that before. I mean, maybe we're just assuming that. Maybe it's screen. Is it screen or screen? Uh, whatever. Ed screen. <laughs> okay. And this is, goes on for a long time. Like, Anna and her two compatriots are like, they're able to go get... Isaac, the Isaac look-alike. What's his? Let me look. It's actually like Asimov or something. It's uh, yeah, Imasov. Imasov. Yeah, Leo yeah. Imasov. Yeah, they go and get Leo, one of these f names. <laughs> I know. I gotta like keep looking them up. <laughs> I got IMDb open. I'm like scrolling up and down. Get them all. Well, inquiring minds want to know Jacob, Jerry, D Jerry, Jacob. Who's been going first? J Jerry. Okay, J I have been. Jer no, I've been. <laughs> Jacob. J-Sound. Um, Jason Statham, what did you think about this movie? It sucked. 